Good morning and welcome to another edition of Five Alive. It's good to have you with us today. We are going to be reading and discussing the book of John, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. We're going to be talking about murder, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Today we have a lot of social justice, a lot of people standing up for people groups that have wrongfully been treated. There was the abolition of slavery and the civil rights movement. All of these things have their roots in Christianity. In fact, if you look in history, there was a book I read in 2020 on the man William Wilberforce, who was born in 1759. And he, in 1785, at 26 years of age, became a Christian. And as a result of this drastic change in his life, he saw the world different than he had ever seen it before. He saw the mistreatment of specifically Africans who were being enslaved by the British in order to be taken to the Americas, taken to England itself, or to just be taken to other places like India. And they enslaved these people by capturing them from their villages and removing them from their families and then beating them, shipping them overseas where most of them would usually die. In fact, there was one ship that so many slaves died on it that they didn't look at these African men any differently than they looked at a piece of rubbish. And they just tossed them over to the sea, over into the water, because they were actually worth more dead and tossed into the sea than they were alive. And William Wilberforce saw this with a new changed perspective of the way he looked at life that for the evil that slavery is. And he set about to abolish the slavery of all people because in those days, there weren't just black Africans that were being enslaved. There were white people being enslaved. There were Latino people being enslaved. There were Spanish people being enslaved. There were Indians being enslaved. People from all over the world allowed slavery and he did not see this proper. And so he set about to abolish the slavery of all people. And he did not do this act alone, but he also saw the British treatment of India and the Indians in the nation of India as inhumane. He also saw the blatant disregard for the treatment of animals and the earth as ungodly. Now he came up with this worldview because his heart had been changed. Therefore, his mind had been renewed as he was reading the word of God. And he knew that there was something that needed to happen. And God had placed him in a position in parliament in England so that that way he could make a stand legally against people. Was his first act then to go and say, my life has been changed. I'm a 26-year-old man, and I think we need to stop slavery. And so then he drew up a law to try and end all of slavery. Is that what you think he did? No. No, it's not what he did. He didn't do that at all. In fact, the very first thing that he did was he drew up papers calling it a reformation of manners. He wanted there to be a reformation on the way people treated other people, on the way our etiquette is taken serious at the dining room table or taken when we're out in public. And so the reformation of manners started under, or the some people say it's the second reformation of manners, but this is the first one that's actually legally put into law in England. And the reformation of manners was specifically to do this. It was to educate people, to increase their literacy, and to condone lewd activities such as the mistreatment of animals, prostitution, thievery, murder, 
and swearing. Sunday was also in the Reformation of Manners to be a day of rest so that way people did not work but actually took a day of rest out of the seven days of the week and to treat all people respectfully. That was what his Reformation on Manners was drawn up to and then it was presented to the king and all of parliament in England. It wasn't immediately to abolish slavery, though that was what he was going for. That was what his long-term goal was. He knew that in order to get there, first he had to address these issues of people's minds and their hearts. And if people were already mistreating animals, if they were already mistreating the earth, then obviously the direct correlation between the mistreatment of the resources we have in this world is going to only carry on to mistreating people. And so he saw that if he can help take care of these things by educating people that these things are wrong, mistreating animals, mistreating the planet, then they will by correlation see that mistreating people is also wrong, no matter their skin color, hair color, eye color. And so that is what he did. Now, people today would probably condone a lot of the things that William Wilberforce did and stood for, and the people of that day did as well. And as a result, he faced heavy opposition to what he believed. And even today, people would hate William Wilberforce if they saw every single one of his beliefs. They'd say, oh, what an unenlightened person, even though he was probably one of the most enlightened people of his day. They would look through the lens of, what they know today, back at history and condemn William Wilberforce for some of his beliefs as barbarian or as rude, or they would come up with some liturgy of vocabulary that they would condemn William Wilberforce. And Jesus warns us that this is the way people will look at us when we become Christians and we, when we are in him in Christ. In John chapter 16, verses one through four, he talks about the importance of clinging to him, that people will desire to murder us as followers of Jesus. And the reason they will do it is because they think they're following after Jesus. And then lastly, he says, but the reality is they don't know God. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that he is going to leave this place and he will send us a helper. And so Xavier, if you'll uh, open up the book of John chapter 16, we will read verses one through 15. I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. 
Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the reading of God's word for today. Have you ever had someone oppose your opinion? Yes. yes. Have you ever had someone argue with you over what you think is right? Yes. Have you ever been treated differently because of your opinions? Yes. Jesus says this is going to happen to us. And it happened to William Wilberforce as we opened with. He had people that opposed his thinking, opposed his way of belief. And so Jesus warns us in verses one through four to cling to him. He says, I warn you to keep you from falling away. He says that because he wants us to cling on to him because there are going to be moments where we're going to feel isolated, all alone, like nobody else agrees or believes the way we do. And yet when we read the Bible that morning, when we prayed, when we focused on the word of the Lord, we are going to be alone in some of our beliefs. And so he encourages us to cling to him in those moments so that that way we won't fall away and become a part of what the world is trying to encourage us to be, which is separated from God. He then says, people are going to stand up and they're going to desire to murder you. There's going to be martyrdom that's going to take place. And the word martyrdom comes from the uh, Greek word for martyria, which means to be a witness. So as you stand in witness, people are going to hate that witness that you give and they're going to desire to kill you. And they're going to think that they're doing it as a gift unto the Lord or as a sacrifice unto the Lord. They're going, that's the only thing they can think of to shut you up is to kill you. And they will even believe it's God's calling to kill you. Now, this is even recorded in scripture where this happens. In the book of Acts chapter 9, we see a man who ends up becoming a, an apostle of Jesus who thinks the very way that Jesus is describing here, it's almost like Christ is prophesying that there's going to be a person that's going to do this. And that man's name is Saul. Later on, he goes by the name Paul. So here when we're reading, we're going to read his name as Saul. So Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when he said, who are you, Lord? He answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now, just a few days earlier to this interaction that Saul is having with Jesus, he had overseen the death of many people, including the man Stephen. Saul is overseeing the stoning of Stephen, and he is giving the ability to say, this is good that we kill Stephen, even though Stephen is standing up and witnessing and attesting to who Jesus is. A few years later, Paul is out getting persecuted for preaching the word of Christ unto all generations. Jesus then warns us that the reason people are going about killing and martyring, murdering people in the name of 
God is not because they do know God, but because they never really knew him. And that they are just trying to protect their way of life, their power, and justify the lewdness that they always enjoy. For some, hearing a warning like this, people are going to desire to murder you because you follow Jesus, causes fear or intimidation. What would you say to encourage somebody if they are a new believer in Christ or if they're a long-time believer in Christ to help them be encouraged not to be persuaded by the world and fall into its traps, but instead to continue to cling to Jesus? When asking Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, don't think you're going to be invincible of, all right, somebody's going to murder me. That's the wrong intention. Right. But there is a less of a fear. With Christ, there's no fear. The only fear that we have as a follower of Christ Jesus is the fear, a reverence, a holy fear to the Lord himself. Mm -hmm. We are to fear him. But when it comes to death for a born-again believer, there should be no fear because our eternal reward or an internal inheritance is heaven. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting because heaven is better than here on earth. And so with that, there's no fear. But that doesn't mean that when you ask Christ into your heart to go ahead and disobey all government laws or disobey uh, your elders or disobey in general. Yeah. That that's not the right behavior going, you know, to hell with you because I don't believe in what you believe because I'm a born again believer. Be respectful. Any other thoughts? Uh, hearing the warnings that Jesus says that people are going to desire to murder you for your faith in Christ intimidates them. What would you do to encourage someone else to not be persuaded by the world, but to make every attempt to follow after Christ? Inevitably, it boils down to, like, it's not about us. And if the believer or person believes that the reason they follow Christ is to give them fame and to make them popular or to give them a story, well, then that's the wrong attitude towards wanting to follow God. Hmm. And so in that, in this martyrdom, and the people are desiring to kill us, is people want to please every they read this and they want to please everybody because they don't want to be killed because they want to be liked by everybody and that's the technically that's the wrong way to look at it is because this isn't for our glory this is for god's glory we have the books of the martyrs of the past and we have had martyrs recently but like it's not about the martyr themselves it's about what the martyr is standing for and so in that if your faith is strong enough in God and you trust him to be there and you believe with all your heart that he is the one, and that you're proclaiming the truth, then you would be fine with all the hate because the good outweighs the bad. Christ is always with us. And so even though nobody likes me and they desire to kill me or they do it actually kill me, you still get to be with God whom you believe to be the savior of the world and the person who's going to bring about justice mm -hmm. for what wrong has been done. Sure. I think of that, you know, wanting to get people to like you. I think of the, uh, the importance of trying to be uh, liked by others. 
I don't believe this was always the case. I think this is a 20th and 21st century new fad that has come about specifically because we have become so prosperous in the world. And we say, instead of looking to heaven as our eternal home and this earth, I'm just a pilgrim passing through. Instead, we look at our neighbor who has more things than we do and we covet what they have. Instead of looking to heaven, we look for how can I get what my neighbor has? Man, I really like their house. I really like their car. I really like the way their family is. So what do I need to sacrifice in order to get exactly what they have? And instead of focusing and putting our attention on Christ, who is in our eternal reward and in heaven, the place that he's preparing for us to go to, which is going to be a billion times better than life is here on earth. We look at earth and are satisfied with what we see around us. And instead of looking to heaven, we say, I want what this earth has to offer. And we do this even as Christians to the point where death is evil because it's going to remove my opportunity to achieve things on this earth. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We hate death with such vehemence. It's so evil that it won't allow me to accomplish my goals that I set before myself on earth. So therefore, we must do away with death because that's what ultimate evil is. But yet God created death so that that way we could live eternally with him in a new body that is no longer susceptible to the sin of this world. But we don't long for that anymore because we like what we have on this earth. And because of liking things here on this earth makes us afraid to die. Yeah. Instead, we want to pursue what is tangible to us on this earth. And what is intangible, heaven, living eternally with Jesus, we, we feel like that's something that, you know what, maybe it's just made up. And, you know, even preachers start preaching that way. No, 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 no. There's not going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What we have here today, this is the new heaven and this is the new earth. And we need to redeem what we have here. And so then they start passing, then they become politicians that pass legislation so that that way new laws are put into place so that that way there's social justice reforms so that that way this world becomes a better place for everybody to live so that that way we no longer desire eternity, but instead we desire what the world has to offer. And yet Jesus the whole time is telling us, no, that's not the way of my life. That is not obedience to me. Obedience to me is following after me and forsaking the things of this world. Yeah. And then it can even go as far as you have a loved one who does not see the things the way we're describing right now. And they're excited. They're ready. They're going to eternity and they die. But their family members don't understand that they're fit. They're person wanted their person in their family wanted to die they were ready to die and they blame god for killing that family member even though that family member was ready to die they were okay with death they were fine with passing on from this life but their family loved them so much and loves the world so much that they wanted them to be on the earth forever like they think they're going to be on the earth forever instead of realizing that that person was okay with dying mm -hmm. and that death didn't bind them to the point where they wanted, they were struggling and trying to live forever. They were fine with just passing on. And, but it's still the fact that they're okay with dying. A large majority of people do come to a point where they're okay with death. And they just die. And then we, for some reason, blame death for, or God for taking them away from us. 
because we weren't ready for them to go yet. Whenever it's not our choice. Right. It's not our choice. That part is not our choice. Our choice is to choose Christ or not to choose Christ. Yeah. Book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And then we have Philippians 1, 15 through 21. Some people indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you describe a time that you felt a need to change who you are in order to please someone else? Three years ago. We moved back to the United States of America, <clears throat> and I go and meet some people that I've met before in the past, but like I didn't feel like I fit in at all. So for three months, I tried my best to understand people. I listened to the music they listened to. I watched the YouTube videos they watched. I tried everything to get into fit in with culture and to real and figure out what's going on and why are all these people talking this way because i never felt like i fit in because i live in india and we're <laughs> a little bit behind on certain trends but <laughs> and so <clears throat> in us i'm trying i tried my best to pick up on it and i did it for way too long and i had to come to the realization that it doesn't matter fitting in like that doesn't matter if you're just yourself people will accept you and if they don't other people will it just depends on the people you want to be with. You don't always have to be accepted by the people you think are popular or going to get you somewhere. You can be satisfied with the friends and people that accept you, the true friends. And what if nobody accepts you? What if you're completely isolated from everyone because you're that different guy that nobody ever wants to be around. Like you go to the break room at work and everybody completely avoids you because, oh, that's so-and-so. We don't talk with them. So everybody goes to other tables to sit or they all leave the room and leave you sitting there by yourself. What about in those moments? You have to just learn to accept yourself and be yourself. And even if, if they don't accept you, at least Jesus has accepted you and other people might accept you in the future. I mean... I don't know, but I just have to think of it that way is that at least my family accepts me mm. and God accepts me. And that's really all I need. Okay. And through my relationship with Christ, he will provide me the things that I need and he will provide me with friends and he'll provide me with mentors and people to speak into my life and help me grow in my faith. Okay. Describe a moment that you stood up for someone or you stood up to people, though you were 
completely alone in standing up for that person or for a certain thing, you were in the minority. Yeah. But there are a lot of stupid arguments that I've gotten into, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. In that moment, did you feel alone? Have you ever made a decision knowing someone, specifically God, was cheering you on or helping you in that moment? Yeah. Like, it's not like somebody came along and whispered in your ear, man, you're doing a good job. No. But you knew it with inside of yourself. Yes. Okay, the stand I'm taking, that's the right one. Uh, yeah. I've come to a realization at one point where I felt like the stand I was taking was a great stand. Like, I got encouraged in, within myself, but then later on hit a <laughs> low point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's ebbs and flows in life. The ups and downs, definitely, they come. Uh, there's no doubt. But you knew that God was with you Yeah. in that moment. I, I, I remember a time in my life, and I'll go ahead and describe it, a moment where I stood up for someone. His name was Jacob. And I didn't know Jacob very well. He was on the block that I lived on when I lived in um, Palm Beach County, Florida. And all of the other guys in my neighborhood, I had just moved into this neighborhood, all the other guys in this neighborhood, there's about six of them. They all got together, built a fort, and we're like 10 years of age at this time. And so some of the guys were a little bit older than me. Other guys were the same age. But it was like we were, a, you know, we had this fort. We built a club. It was real cool. We were, we were all hanging out together. And it was just like, this is awesome. Jacob came along. And Jacob was a little bit different because his body shape was different. His head shape was even different. In fact, his head was kind of shaped uh, abnormally. And I don't know why to this day why that was the case. All I know is Jacob was not what we would consider a normal person. And so those guys saw him and would make fun of him. And one day they pretended like they were his friend. They invited him towards our clubhouse and there they were started beating him up just for, they only befriended him so that that way they could pick on him and beat him up and make themselves feel better. And they turned to me and they looked at me and they said, now you hit him. Now you punch him. Now you beat him up. And I looked and I said, I'm not going to do that. And they said, no, you've got to. In order to be a part of our club, you have to beat Jacob up. You have to hate him. You've got to make fun of him. Look how crazy he looks. Look how different he is from us. And I said, no, I refuse to do that. I am not going to do that. And so then they started beating on me. They started punching me and they started beating me up. And so then Jacob and I were both isolated from the club, from the group, because he was awkward and then because I refused to punch him, they no longer liked me. So I was then in a moment where I was also hated by Jacob because Jacob didn't realize that that's what had happened on my side. So Jacob hated me. These five guys hated me. And now I was all alone. And in those moments, which do happen in our lives, in childhood, in teenagehood, and in adulthood, we still have a helper who comes alongside, if we choose to accept him, to be there with us. And that is the hope that we have in Christ. And that is the joy that we have when we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus transitions from the fact that people are going to desire to murder us because we love him. But then he also talks about the fact that he is going away from us so that that way he can send a helper to be with us. That helper is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes 
And Jesus talks about this for three reasons. He says they are to point out sin, the guilt of sin, to show us the way to righteousness and the fact that there is an inevitable judgment that is in front of us. All of these ways combine to do the ultimate job of what the Holy Spirit is put on this earth for, and that is to point us to our salvific moment in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to take the three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment, and we're going to discuss those. Sin. Sin is actions or thoughts that separate us from God because they are contrary to God or godliness. Has anyone said something, then apologized for saying it around you because they knew you were a Christian? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just happened this swear words. Yeah, mostly swear <laughs> words, right. And that's, that we can point back to William Wilberforce and, and his reformation on manners because the part of lewdness was what was considered swear words to the point where that is where people started recognizing oh, that is ill-gotten speech. And so even to this day, even here in India, words that uh, aren't necessarily considered swear words in other places and yet words that are considered swear words in other places, it seems like both sides, whether it's considered a swear word in the West or a swear word in the East, both sides I get apologized to. Oh, I'm so sorry I said that in front of you. Has anyone ever made a plan but left you out because they knew you were a Christian and you wouldn't have a part of doing that? Yes. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know. Like, there's no way Aisha is going to do this because she's a follower of Jesus. And so they just don't even talk to you about it. And then you hear later, oh, these people got together and they didn't include you. I don't, I didn't, I, I probably wouldn't have heard that because it would probably be my, all my friends who would bat together and like, oh yeah, we can't do that with her. Okay, we're not going to talk to her. And then they're going to go and run around and do stuff. And then I'm going to randomly walk up and say, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the way things happen sometimes. Does that ever make you feel like you're left out, that you're alone? Of course it does. But in regards to that, have you considered that not allowing your feelings of being hurt in these situations, but instead recognize the fact that the Jesus in you is so strong and the Holy Spirit is so manifest in you that the ungodly actions done by your peers is recognized that there's no way they want to do that around you or include you in it because they don't want you to condemn or condone their actions or their verbiage. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a good thing. Because it is the Holy Spirit pointing out that their lifestyle needs to be corrected through you as a human being. So you are being a servant of Christ sometimes without even opening your mouth. Sometimes you're preaching the gospel without even saying a word. I don't say this to raise your ego or to make you arrogant, which is also a sin. But instead for us to recognize the fact that by having Christ inside of us, And by living in a complete obedience to him affects those that are around us. Have you ever acted a certain way and then felt a sickening feeling overcome you because you knew that was the wrong thing to do? Mm -hmm. Yes. How do you know it's wrong? Like what happens to you that you're like, oh my goodness, I just did something wrong. Guilt, churning in my stomach. Sickening feeling. Um, 
whenever you do something wrong, sometimes you feel like you can't speak and there's a big knot inside of your throat and you don't know what to say. Yeah, absolutely. Blair? Absolutely. No, I mean, what is the feeling that you have? Like, what is the uh, uh, what is the reason that you're like, oh my goodness, I did something wrong? Like, what is it? Like, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I did something wrong. Oh, well. Like, what, <laughs> yeah, what is uh, it? No, in my heart, I know. Like In your heart? I, yeah, it twists. I get this, like, twist of like, oh. I do it all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, if, if I'm like, hey, I'm going to get a cop, and I don't get a cop, and I'm like, I never got a cop. And that's a sin? I lied. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> I've never felt that way whenever, like, at one time I've, like, even I've spread, like, information that I thought was correct and then later learned it was wrong. And I was like, well, I lied to that person. Hopefully they don't believe everything I said. <laughs> but I don't go and apologize for it because at that time I thought I was correct. Then I learned I was wrong. And I may not see that person again, so. <laughs> Whoops. So <laughs> that. times. So that knot, that lump in your throat, that twisting in your heart, that that guilty feeling, that bad feeling that you get, have you recognized that that's the helper, the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Yes. Pointing out your son? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you see that as a good thing? Do you see that as a good thing or do you see that as a negative thing? Like, oh no, I did something wrong. And then you just try and ignore it as if it didn't oh, really yeah. happen. Man, I would not be able to live with myself <laughs> if I ignored it. But people I do. would yeah, be so true. depressed. Like I would never get out of bed. I wonder, that's why, I wonder why so many people are like, depressed. I think I would have to turn to a heavy addiction of something. <laughs> mean, like, okay, alcohol? and that's what some people Drugs? do. No, anything. Like it could be... Candy over, yeah, overeating. Mommy's gonna go Burgers, to Tetris. Under eating. Okay. I lied Tetris. so much. I'm gonna turn to Tetris. Addiction of video games. Sure. Sure. Reading anything. Just zoning out, zoning watching out. TV forever, or just zoning out just in general. Just sitting there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching neighbors. So there is that moment where the Holy Spirit convicts you of a wrongdoing, of a sin, of something that is ungodly, and you in that moment have the choice. Are you going to accept the correction of the Holy Spirit, or are you going to suppress that feeling and continue to do it because it's what you, you briefly enjoyed it? Because let's face it, many sins are enjoyable for a moment. It's only after the sin has been completed that we feel guilty, right? Mm -hmm. Very rarely in the moment of the sin act do you feel like, oh man, I'm doing something wrong. And if you do, you stop it. Yeah. And then maybe you go back to it because it peaked a little bit of curiosity into you, so you keep on going back. But the Holy Spirit is here to point out this is sin so that that way we repent of that sin and don't continue to to turn to it. So we have to ask ourselves, are there moments in my day to day that I need to repent of a sin? Every day. Every day. Right. Every That's day. why we have to ask ourselves that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense now. <laughs> and when we when we ask ourselves that, when we say, when we go, okay, especially at the end of the day, okay, Lord, I know this situation happened and I did the I reacted wrongly. I reacted sinfully. Will you forgive me? In that moment, do I then submit myself unto the Holy Spirit so that that way he can help me to not do that action again? Or do I 
only ask forgiveness so that that way it will justify my wrongdoing so that I can continue to return and continue to do that sinful thing over and over and over again because I know God's gracious, he's merciful, and he's just, and he will forgive me of my wrongdoing. And so therefore I take advantage of his kindness, his grace, and his mercy and continue to walk in a life of sin. The Holy Spirit helps us and shows us the guilt of our sin so that that way we will not continue doing it. And he points us to the person of Jesus on the cross, showing us that we are forgiven of all our sins. There's no level of sin that Jesus cannot cover so that that way we can then be pointed towards righteousness. That's the second thing the Holy Spirit does, right? In accordance with what we've read. Righteousness is right living with God and with man. Now, pleasing God in a unchristian-like manner, what would be referred to in the Bible as a pagan manner, is done through sacrifice, keeping of festivals, and doing enough good to maintain good favor with the deity that is in charge of your life, the crops, your business, making babies, and the afterlife. For the Christian, right living is a 24-7 lifestyle. Christ is our eternal sacrifice for our sin and our wrongdoing. Festivals are symbols or reminders of God's goodness in the past and his faithfulness yet to come in the future. And doing good is a lifestyle that the helper, the Holy Spirit, points us constantly to being obedient to Christ and his work on the cross as our measurement for the life that we live today. So we have right living, righteousness is right living with God and man. So right living with mankind is not to get mankind to like me always, to use all the world's resources and just trash the planet, to throw trash all over the place and not care because that's somebody else in the future's problem, not my issue, to make fun or tease people until they cry and or commit suicide, to murder people who don't agree with me or hate me with my, or I hate them with my thoughts because they don't agree with me. And you know what? I'm a Christian. And if they don't agree with me, then just as Blair said earlier, to hell with them. That is not right living with man. Right living with mankind is to care for the planet, to help others out when they're in a pinch, being if, if we are punched by somebody physically or even just emotionally in the cheek, Jesus says, then we turn to them our other cheek as well. We put down our rights, not looking as our rights as a way that we deserve, but instead looking to Jesus saying, this life is just a vapor. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. And eventually I'm going to be with Jesus who is going to correct everything. Do you ever think about being a righteous person? I've thought about yeah. it. Righteous. 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 Gnarly, dude. Do you make a forcible effort to be righteous from the time you wake up in the morning, going about your day till the moment you rest at night? Do you sit there and go, with everything you do from brushing your teeth in the morning to eating lunch in the afternoon to laying your head down on your pillow, do you look at every aspect of your life as, I did that righteously? No. <laughs> so if you don't forcefully or forcibly always look at everything you're doing as an act of righteousness, how can somebody consider you to be righteous? Is righteous living effortless? 
No. no. It takes effort to be a righteous person, doesn't it? Yes. It takes discipline. It takes hard work to be righteous. Is righteous being righteous an afterthought? Something that you just, oh, I guess I was righteous. Wow, what a good person I am. No. 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 Is being righteous a personality trait that can genetically be passed along no. to you yeah. from your parents? No, of course not. And so if I must choose to accept Christ as my savior and sin cleanser and submit the right to righteous living of his helper, leading me into all that life has to offer, does this lead me into or exclude me from judgment? No, no. It does not exclude me from judgment, which is the third thing that the Holy Spirit points out. So wait, I became a Christian. Now I no longer have to face judgment, right? No. Wait, I'm a Christian and I face judgment. Does the non-Christian face judgment? Yes. Yes. Yes and yes. God, judgment is God's wrath upon those who disobey. God's judgment is God's wrath upon those who disobey or ignore him or mistreat his people. Today, if a crime is committed and the perpetrator is caught... Is it possible for that criminal to escape justice and be acquitted of his crime? Yes. 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 Is it possible for criminals to get away with ungodly offenses? Yes. yes. If you have a good attorney. Well, I think about not just the good attorney, but I think about the Bollywood movie, No One Killed Jessica. And in the movie, Who Killed Jessica, she had gone to a party and she had gone to a party at a very high up government official's house. The son of that government official shot her and killed her, but they could never convict him of his crime because his father, who was in a high position, kept paying bribes to everybody to make sure that this would one day go away. And the man who killed Jessica got at the end of the movie gets away with it. That's the end of the movie. Does that happen in real life? Yes. yes. Yeah, it does. How about this? Is it possible for a person to be picked up for a crime that they did not commit to be prosecuted, found guilty, and punished for no reason? This world is not a just place. The world we live in today, no matter if you hear a preacher say, there is no such thing as heaven and there is no such thing as hell, what we have is what we have, that does not point to Jesus because Jesus points us to justice. The Holy Spirit points us to justice and points us to the fact that there's judgment. And the Bible continues to say that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God is going to judge both the just and the unjust. We do not have that in the 21st century because People do get arrested for crimes they do not commit. People do get arrested and taken to jail and executed for crimes they don't commit. And that is not justice. At the same time, people do criminal activity and they hurt people within our society, within our community, and they get away with it every single day and are never taken to task for their criminal activities. That is not justice. And so how do we see what justice is? We don't see it in this world. Instead, we have got to trust the helper. We have got to see our lives on this earth, the 70 plus years that we will live here on this earth as just a vapor of time compared to all of eternity. And in all of eternity, there will be judgment that will come to pass on the Christian and on the non-Christian. The helper points us to the fact that this judgment is inevitable, that the wrongdoing will be properly judged and the innocent will be set free. So the believer and non-believer, the Christian and non-Christian will both be judged and Christ will be 
Lord of all, and he will be the ultimate judge in those last days. The Christian will be judged for his obedience to Christ and the Holy Spirit. He will face life with Christ eternally. His sins will be covered under the blood of Christ, yet he will face the consequences of his life's decisions and the words spoken, even though he will have eternal life with Christ. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 through 37. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Both of these passages of scripture are referencing the words that we speak and the judgment that will be held in accordance with the words we speak. Yes, this is both for the Christian and for the non-Christian. It's very important for us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as believers in the one true God, Jesus Christ himself, to recognize that we will be judged for the words that we speak. These are the harsh words that we speak. These are the kind words that we speak. These are the accuracies and the inaccuracies. The, we will be judged in accordance with these things. And those who are religious leaders are going to be judged more harshly than those who are lay people within the church community. That's why I find it so important to make sure that I stay not just relevant with the times as a person who's presenting this podcast and for our family as we present this podcast to stay relevant with the times, but also to be specific with understanding God's word and what Jesus has spoken, not just for today, but for all time. Because the word of God is true. The word of God is faithful. The word of God is just. And we will be judged in accordance with what we speak we will be judged more harshly even on the day of judgment than those who are not speaking out loud all the time. Another passage of scripture is Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We must, as believers in Christ, find a way to continue to commune with him, not just on a regular basis, but on a daily, frequently, moment-by-moment, pray-without-ceasing type of fervency that we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, as the scriptures have foretold all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy of the Old Testament. That is for the Hebrew as well and the Jew as well as for us today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is what we are called to do and called to be. And yes, we will be judged for it. The non-Christian will face judgment for their sins. They will not have their sin covered under the blood of Jesus Christ because they chose not to believe in him. And as a result of not believing in Jesus, they will stand and have to give an account and give an answer for why they chose to do the actions that they did, why they chose to speak the words that they spoke, and why they lived the life of disobedience unto Christ when the whole time they could have chosen to follow him. They will then spend eternity separated from God. You see, while we're on this earth, no matter your philosophical persuasion, God is 
in control of what's happening today. You say, well, I don't know if he's active or he's as active as he used to be in the past or if he's going to be more active in the future than he is. Right? That's philosophy. We're not talking about that. The fact is, is God created the heavens and the earth. He created you and me. And as a result, we are enjoying the blessings of his helper being on this earth, on this planet today. And the Holy Spirit is in control of everything that's going on. He's in control as a helper to you. And he is in control as a helper to your community and in control as a helper unto this world. And as we submit to him, we will see his active participation in our life today instead of the opposite feeling that we may have. The most important part of the fact of what Jesus talks about today is, is we're going to face hardship. The Holy Spirit is going to point out sin. He's going to show us how to be righteous so that that way on the day that we do face judgment, and it is inevitable that it will come, that we will be seen as holy and righteous in the sight of Christ. Are you willing to submit yourself to Jesus in that respect today? If you are, simply just ask him to be your savior. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that everybody will have a great day today and that I, we all will repent of all our sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. amen.